Well, as we come to look at the Scripture this morning, I want to just put a little bit of context around this first of all, and particularly for anyone who is visiting today and isn't too aware of the series that we have been studying, just to bring you up to date a little bit with that. As we do that, I want to show you some pictures first of all, um, some pictures of people who you might say are carrying more than perhaps they should. Uh, I'd love to see what that picture of the car looked like from the other side as well. Um, I didn't realize how many apples you could get in one car. But if the number of apples in a car impresses you, perhaps this will as well. How many horses can you get in a car as you travel? Uh, and thirdly and finally, a car that, or a lorry that you might say could be a little bit overloaded. Uh, I'm not sure I would like to be uh, carried on that lorry at this time in that particular way. Sometimes we carry with us things that we shouldn't. Uh, and that's really at the heart of what this series has been about. It's called, This is What I Like. Said in a way that is kind of say, this is the way that I like things. Uh, and we've been talking about various things that we can say we like, but actually can be a hindrance to our faith. So we've looked at, this is what I like, convenience. I like my faith to fit in with my lifestyle. The challenge is that sometimes our faith does not fit in with lifestyle, and we're called to change, and that can be quite inconvenient. This is what I like, choices. I like to have a whole lot of choices, and then I make a decision on what is best for me. But the challenge of faith, faith is that sometimes we're called to make a choice that we wouldn't really choose if we could help it, but it's what God is saying we should do. Sometimes God calls us to make choices that, quite frankly, we wouldn't otherwise choose. This is what I like, comprehension. I like to understand. I like to understand what God is doing. But for most of us who have walked the path of faith, we would have to say that being a follower of Jesus means that sometimes you're completely confused at what God is doing in a particular situation. This is what I like, comparisons. Uh, make comparisons about all sorts of things, but comparisons can lead to dissatisfaction. And very often when we make comparisons, we compare ourselves to other people, and quite often we come off better than they do in the comparison. But actually, what we're called to do as followers of Jesus is to compare ourselves to Jesus, to the one who was perfect and walked every step of obedience. And that's a lot harder to do. And today, the challenge of what we're going to look at, and this is what I like, is this is what I like, carefree living. And let me give you a definition at this point of what I mean by carefree. Carefree means to be free of anxiety and worry. And it has a second aspect to it as well. To be free from responsibility. This is what I like. To be carefree, to be free of anxiety and worry, and to be free of burdensome responsibilities. Who likes that? 
I'd have to put my hand up and say, that's what I like. But as we look at today's reading, we're going to see a challenge that comes through this, and we're going to explore that afterwards. Ruth is going to come and share our reading with us. It's from Judges chapter 6. We're reading from verses 7 to 16. The situation is this. Uh, The people of Israel are in the promised land, the land that God has led them to. But while they're there, they're in a situation where there's a group of people called the Midianites who are persecuting them. Whenever they grow food, they take the food or destroy the food. Any of their animals, their livestock, they're destroying or taking from themselves. It leads to a situation in verse 6 where we read this, where it says, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. They're in a difficult situation. They cry out to the Lord for help. Judges chapter 6, verse 7 to 16. Found on page number 248. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abzurite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Amen. Thank you, Ruth. So, when things are difficult, perhaps when things are scary, what do you do? Well, perhaps this is one solution. Maybe it's time for a song. Get ready for it. It'll be coming on, I'm sure, at some point. What do you do when things are not going well? Perhaps you think about things that make you happy. That's one solution. Um, That's what was suggested there. Another thing that we read in this story is suddenly people draw to mind the Lord. Things are going badly for the people of Midian, for the um, people of Israel, because of the Midianites, Uh, and so they're so things are so bad. What do they do at this time? They cry out to the Lord for help. They cry out to the Lord for help. Carefree living. We see 
that what they do at this time as they cry out to the Lord is the prophet comes to them and says, I said to you, this is what the Lord says, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. So they cry out to the Lord because things are going badly, and the prophet comes and explains something about why things are going wrong. You haven't listened to me. You haven't been doing what I told you to do. Why had they stopped at that point? I want to share a couple of things that I believe are spiritual truths that we need to be aware of. The first thing is this, being carefree can mean we stop listening to God. You see, while the Israelites were in the wilderness, they were facing lots of problems and lots of difficult times. When they first came into the land, they faced lots of difficulties, lots of challenges as they established new homes. But the moment came when generally things were sorted and life was going along okay. And as that happened, what they did was they became more like the people who were still left in the country. They became more like the people, the Amorites, who worshipped different gods, they compromised on their faith. Here is a spiritual truth that we need to be aware of. It is possible that when life is just going along okay, when everything's sorted, where there's no major crisis, of course we have ups and downs, days where we feel good, days where we feel not so good, but by and large things are okay, and as we go along, we become more and more like the society of those who don't believe in God. We become more like those people, and you would see less distinction of us as Christians because we are carefree, and actually what we have done is we have stopped listening to God. And one of the points of reflection, and maybe for some people, you don't need to go any further in the sermon than this, than to reflect on this. Am I listening to God? Or has my life, because there's no major crises and things are going along okay, have I got to the point where actually you would struggle to see the difference between me and somebody who has no faith, apart from the fact that I might go to church on a Sunday. Being carefree can mean we stop listening to God. That's what was happening for the people of Israel. They had stopped listening to God. And then we come to this point in the story, which is really about the call of Gideon. It may be in some of your Bibles that it's actually entitled the call of Gideon in, uh, in the top of the passage. Gideon is called, and he is called to responsibility. Here's a second truth. As we listen to God, we will discover we have a spiritual responsibility I want to suggest that actually it is wrong for any of us ever to be able to describe ourselves as carefree when it means that we are free from responsibility. Now, the reality is, of course, we all have responsibilities in our lives, but I want to talk spiritually about this. We should never see a point at which we have no spiritual responsibility. As we listen to God, we will discover we have a spiritual responsibility. And as we listen to God, he will reveal to us how we might carry that out. 
And so this morning I want to talk particularly about the fact that we shouldn't be living carefree, but what might some of these responsibilities look like? And I'm going to pick out some, there's all sorts of things we could talk about, but from this passage I want to pick out three things that we might want to consider for what it means to live with responsibility, spiritually speaking. The three things are there, these, that we need to come out of hiding, that we need to tackle timing issues, and recognize qualifications. Three things, come out of hiding, tackle timing issues, recognize qualifications. So first of all, come out of hiding. I suspect many people here will have played hide-and-seek at one time or another. And uh, if you have younger children or grandchildren, uh, you may have played it more recently as well. And if you played with really young children, one of the things that you might discover as you're playing with them is that they believe that if they can't see you, you can't see them. You know, it's a bit like this. If you, you can hide your face, and therefore that means none of you can be seen. It's not necessarily true. Uh, and actually, as we meet Gideon in this story, he is in hiding in one sense, but he's not hidden from God. He's in hiding. We read this, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak and um, saw that Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, the first thing we note here is that Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. This is an unusual thing to do because the normal place to thresh wheat is on a threshing floor. Because what you want is they are normally out in the open because as you thresh, the wheat and the chaff is separated and the wind will blow the chaff away. It's a good place to thresh wheat. A bad place to thresh wheat is in a wine press because a wine press is a, a circular area that is cut into the rock that is, um, well, it's, it's sheltered from the wind. So that means what you're going to do is you're going to have to separate the wheat and the chaff, chaff by hand. It's a lot harder work. But there is a benefit to this. You're hidden from the Midianites. And the Midianites are people who are persecuting your nation. And they are coming and they are taking any wheat, any crops that you have. So you want to do this out of sight so they don't see what is going on. So you keep the food. Gideon is in hiding. And the call to Gideon that comes in this moment is, come out of hiding. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. There's two aspects to this, you see. You don't need to hide when the Lord is with you. That's what is being said to Gideon. And actually, your identity is as a mighty warrior. Mighty warriors don't go into hiding. They're ready to face what there is ahead. So here is a calling for Gideon to come out of your hiding place and face what is happening. God is going to place a call on his life. Now, we'll look at that in a minute, but I just want to stop here and pause uh, for us to consider. What might God say to us about coming out of hiding? What might it look like to be a Christian who is in hiding? Let me suggest this as I've reflected on this a little bit this week. Being a Christian in hiding means that we might come to church. Being in a, a Christian in hiding means that we might read the Bible and pray on our own. Uh, being a Christian in hiding means that we might meet with other Christians and do things with other Christians. 
None of those things are wrong. Please, if you're doing them, don't mishear me. Continue to do them. That's great. But actually what we need to do as Christians is we need more than that because we need to display our Christian faith to everyone else out in society so that other people know that we are Christians and know the difference that our faith is making. We need to be people who are willing to tell other people that we go to church. But actually, it's not just about going to church. Actually, I would say more than that. We need to be people who are willing to tell people that Jesus makes a difference to our lives, that he's important to us, that we shape our lives around him. We need to be people who are willing to put ourselves in more difficult situations because our faith requires it of us. The easy thing for us can be to stand by. But to come out of hiding means that we see that our faith should impact every part of society. One of our culture statements in church life, the last one talks about us being kingdom-inspired. And in being kingdom-inspired, it says that we experience a holy discontent, confronting evil, challenging injustice. You see, there are many things around us that are wrong. I don't need to tell you that. You know that, don't you? And we can look at our newspapers and listen to the news, use our own eyes to see that there are many things that are wrong in our society. And actually what we can do is we can simply lament that fact, be sad about it, maybe talk to other people about things. Oh, isn't it sad that that's the way things are? But sometimes God calls us out of hiding to make a difference. That's what's going to happen to Gideon. He's called out of hiding to suddenly lead the people of Israel. He's the one who has to make a difference. And I just wonder if for some of us, at some point, God might say to us, come out of hiding, allow your faith to make a difference in what you do to make a difference to the society in which you live. There are many different ways we can do that. But I do believe that God wants our faith to impact us, not just on a personal level with my praying, my reading the Bible, my being fed when I come to church, my praying with other Christians, all great things. But I think the outworking of our faith is that it should impact society. It should make a difference out there. And so I just want to throw that out for us today. Do any of us need to come out of hiding? Or what does it mean for us not to be in hiding this week and to come out, to know the Lord is with us, but to live out our life of faith, not hiding away in the wine press, but going out as mighty warriors? Come out of hiding. The second thing that I want to talk about is tackling timing issues. Some of you will know about the Edinburgh Fringe and um, it's an arts festival with lots of different acts that happen. And one of the things they do is, at the end of it, they give a prize for the best one-liner. Here are some of the winners of recent years. I used to work in a shoe recycling factory. It was soul-destroying. I heard that Cadbury is bringing out an oriental chocolate bar. It could be a Chinese whisper. Crime in multi-story car parks. That's wrong on so many levels. 
Someone stole my antidepressants. Whoever they are, I hope they're happy. Well, I think there's something in the way you tell them. Uh, but certainly, the Edinburgh Festival, these were the jokes that they got. Now, you could say the line that we have just heard from the angel of the Lord, where he comes to Gideon and says, um, go out, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, could be a line to make you smile in two ways. First of all, the Lord with us. Well, Gideon wants to question that straight away. He says, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? You know, the uh, persecution from the Midianites. Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. You know, the Lord is with us? That's a funny one-liner, because it doesn't look like that at all. If the Lord is with us, we wouldn't be in this disastrous situation. If the Lord is with us, where are all the miracles that we read about of past times? Why is it going so wrong now? You want me to be a leader of the people of Israel? And you're saying the Lord is with us? Well, actually what I'd like is I'd like to wait until a better time. Perhaps you could show us some miracles first, some wonders first of all. Perhaps you could reveal to us that you are actually with us and then I'm ready to go. But the timing isn't quite right now. I think I could sympathize with Gideon if that was his response because he's being asked to do something major and actually it just doesn't feel like it's quite the right time to do it. And that can be something in our lives where we don't want to step up into a position of responsibility because the timing is just not right for us. There can be all sorts of reasons why the timing is not right. Perhaps we're under a particular moment of pressure at work. Perhaps there are things we're facing in family life that mean this isn't quite right right now. Perhaps there are issues with our health. There can be all kinds of things that make us think, maybe, yes, I can do something for God in the future, but not right now. I want to suggest this is the wrong way of thinking. Because there is no situation that we are in where there is nothing that we can do for God. There is no situation that we are in where there isn't somewhere where we can step up into responsibility. Now, that might look very different at different times of our lives. Uh, and I'm not knocking the fact that there can be things going on in our lives that make it difficult at a particular moment. But somewhere in the situation that we are in, there will be a way that we can serve God and step up into that position of taking spiritual responsibility. There is a way. We may not understand what that might look like and how it can be. But there is a way. Are we looking for it? Let me ask you this question. What spiritual responsibility might God have for you this week? It could be in a conversation with someone. It may be something about how we act in the workplace. It may be doing something, taking action on something. I don't know, all kinds of things. But so often, we can get into that place of, yes, I will do something at some point. But it's not quite the right time now.
I want to suggest that we need to tackle timing issues and that there is always something we can be doing for God. Sometimes it might seem more than at other times, but there's always something. What is it that might be your spiritual responsibility this week? You see, a lot of this is attitude. You could be um, a mum or a dad whose whole time is spent looking after a little child. What spiritual responsibility can I take? There is a spiritual responsibility in bringing up that child, showing the love and care of God. We can have a different attitude to it. It's either because I'm, I'm doing this and I, I'm, I'm loving my child, yes, or I can see it as a spiritual responsibility before God right now. I just use that as one illustration. Maybe, maybe you're, uh, you, you go down with an illness and you, you're in, in bed all week. What can I do? I'm not feeling well. There's still moments where you can pray and take a spiritual responsibility and say, actually, I can't get out of my bed right now, but this is what I can do for God. There's always something we can do. What is God going to have you do this week for him? What is your spiritual responsibility? Don't put it off because of timing issues. What can you do this week? third thing I want to talk about is about recognizing qualifications. God says to Gideon, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So this now comes to the point of who Gideon is. Gideon says, but Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. Around a thousand years earlier, Jacob was approaching death. And it was customary at the time for the person approaching death to bless his children. And Joseph, who was Jacob's favorite son, came and brought his two sons, the grandchildren of Jacob, Manasseh and Ephraim, before him. And he set them up because Manasseh was the oldest one to get the primary blessing. But what Jacob did as he came to give that blessing was he swapped his hands over so that it was actually Ephraim who got the major blessing and Manasseh who got the lower one, the lesser one. And since that time, the people of Manasseh had been carrying an inferiority complex. They were the least of the tribes of Israel. So Gideon looks at this and says, well, I'm the least. I'm in the least tribe there is. But there's more than that because he's in the least of the clans. So in all of the families of Manasseh, he's in the lowest of the families. I'm the least of the least. And it gets more than that because he's actually the lowest in his family. So he's saying, look, I'm the least of the least of the least. What he's saying is there is many other people who could take responsibility for this. Actually, I'm the last person who should be taking responsibility for this. Everyone else is better qualified to do something about it than I am. And actually, a sign of carefree living is that we want other people to take responsibility. And we can look at things and say, there's always someone who is better placed to take responsibility than us. I can look at so many things and think, oh, maybe somebody else could take that responsibility. Isn't somebody else better placed than me to do that? And actually, the reality is we can be making excuses because there are times when God says, step up and take responsibility. 
And I love what he says to Gideon. He says, go in the strength you have. You know, God doesn't ask the impossible of us. He just asks us to give what we have. Go in the strength you have. But actually, twice, at the beginning and at the end, he also says, the Lord is with you. So this is a partnership. We bring our bit, which, to be honest, isn't that great, but it's something. We bring what we can to the party, and God brings what he can, and that's amazing. And together, we can do what God wants. As the story of Gideon unfolds, we will see Gideon has, in many ways, very little strength to do things on his own, but God, who is on the side of Gideon, achieves amazing things in this partnership. The great privilege that we have is that we are called to partnership with God. We're called to share in his work. But we can make excuses. We can say, actually, as I look around the things that are going on, maybe someone else can take responsibility for that. I look at things that are wrong in church. Why don't the leaders do something about that? Maybe. What about I can do something about that? to make a difference. Oh, but I'm the least of the least of the least. Look, they're in the position to do it. But actually, if God is drawing it to your attention, maybe you are part of the solution. And I just use that as one example because it can happen in family life, it can happen in the workplace, it can happen amongst our neighbors. Somebody else should take responsibility for this. But maybe, just maybe, God is saying, you take responsibility. This is what I like. I like carefree living when I don't have any worries and anxieties. Amen to that. I love that. But life isn't like that. How do we react? Actually, whatever our situation, as we listen to God, there is a spiritual responsibility that we have. We may need to come out of hiding, stop making excuses about timing, recognizing that qualification is not about who we are, but who God is and his calling on our lives and step out in serving him. As we draw this sermon and indeed this series to a close, I just want to finish with a story about an eagle and a chicken. There's a fable of the eagle and the chicken, some of you may know it, about an eagle that when it was very young fell out of its nest and uh, a farmer was going by and saw the eagle stranded there and decided to rescue it and put the eagle in with the chickens and his chicken coop. He was a chicken farmer. And as that eagle grew up, it acted like a chicken. And so it pecked for its food, and it never tried to fly. One day, a man came past and was intrigued to see an eagle in with the chickens, but more intrigued to see an eagle acting like a chicken. And he spoke to the farmer about it, and the farmer said, well, this eagle is like a chicken now. Uh, And the man said, that's not how it should be. Uh, And so he asked for permission, and he lifted the eagle up and put him on a post and said to the eagle, you are an eagle. Spread your wings and fly. The eagle looked down at the chicken coop and jumped back down into the chicken coop and started pecking for food again. The next day, the man returned and said to the farmer once again, "Uh, can I lift up this eagle? This is an eagle. It's not a chicken. The farmer said, it's a chicken. He lifted it up, and once again, same process. He told the eagle, you are an eagle. You're meant to fly. Stretch your wings and fly. And the eagle looked back down into the coop, jumped down, and started pecking like 
a chicken. The farmer said, I told you it was a chicken. The next day, he came back again, and this time, as he took the eagle out, he took him away from the coop, out of sight of the coop, and said to the eagle once more, you are an eagle, you are made to fly, flap your wings and soar into the sky. And the eagle saw the sun, lifted its position, and started to flap its wings, and flew off into the sky. And I tell you that story because actually there can be times in our lives where we are made as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, to soar like the eagle, but we're too happy being in the chicken coop, as if we're living without faith. And there are things that we need to put to one side in order to be able to soar. We need to be able to put aside our desire for convenience. I like of making the choice that works out best for me. I need to understand everything before we do anything. The comparisons that we make with other people and the dissatisfaction that can come from saying situations are not right. And from the desire to be carefree, not to have any worries or anxieties and not to take responsibility. Instead, we need to look differently and say, actually, I will go where God calls, even when it's inconvenient. I will make the choice that God wants me to make, even though it's not my choice. I will trust and have faith in God, even though I don't understand. I will look to who Jesus is, rather than who other people are, and I will see that I need to be more like him. And I will seek not to live a life free of anxiety and worry, but to embrace the fact that it comes into this world but to listen to God and seek to take responsibility. Can we do that and fly together outside of the chicken coop to be the people who God has made us to be? Because he longs for the best for you and for me. Amen.